All right. Um, let's pray and let's jump into God's word. Father, thanks for this morning. Uh, thank you that we have the opportunity um, to be faithful in your word, to open up your word. Um, we pray that you would uh, allow us to hear it um, as you have written it to us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to apply it for what you have for us. Uh, and Father, where we need challenge, that you would challenge us. Where we need encourage, that you would encourage us. Um, I'm available to be used by you. Let me be your mouthpiece, but always point back to you. Uh, so, Father, take this morning, use it for uh, your glory, for our good, our, our, and for our good. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. If you got your Bible, open them up to Mark uh, chapter nine. If you are new with us and you plan to hang out with us uh, for some extended time, uh, let me just encourage you, if you don't normally bring a Bible or you don't have one, bring one along with you because we love to dive into God's Word and to hear what He has to say to help us navigate the culture that we live in and the, and, and the faith that He's given us. So um, bring your Bible along with you. We're in Mark chapter 9, and uh, I, I want to make this statement and see if you agree with me. We all have room to grow. Would you agree with me? We, we've all got room to grow. Would you do me a favor and look at somebody sitting next to you and say, I've got room to grow. Don't say they've got room to grow. Say, I've got room to grow. I've got, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, like hopefully that wasn't an eye opener for you. Hopefully that, that like you already understood that, that we all have room uh, to grow. But one of the biggest problems that we bump into as human beings is sometimes um, that we're expecting everybody else around us to grow. While in our mind, like we've kind of got it all figured out, like, like we've reached the peak and the max of what um, uh, maturity looks like, and we've reached the max on what growing up is looking like, and so we expect it out of everybody else, but we just assume, well, hey, I'm, I've already arrived, I've made it. I was reading uh, in um, Rankin Wilborn's book, uh, Union with Christ, and he had a great illustration about what it looks like to grow up in Christ. In church terms, we call this sanctification. If you've been around for a while, you've heard, you've heard that word. And sanctification, it is just simply um, when we've trusted Christ, we jump on board into this grand journey um, that uh, he has uh, given us to be a part of, of what it looks like to walk as a disciple of him. We're a part of that. And we jump on that journey of growth and obedience. The idea is that in Christ... He's already sealed our identity. There's nobody that can take that. There's no, nothing that can change that. Um, there's no more striving to earn salvation. The work has done, right? He's done it on the cross, and so we can't possibly earn that. He's already done that work, and so there's no more striving for it. We have that in Christ. But on this side of eternity, there is still room for every single one of us to grow. Every single one of us have room to keep on growing. And so what Rankin Wilborn said, he, he says it like this. He says, if we were to um, go, if I were to go into my closet and to take one of my shirts out of there and put it on my five-year-old son and give it to him, say, this is your shirt, son, that, that, that shirt would be his, would it not? He's five years old, the shirt doesn't fit, but that shirt is, is his. And it's clearly going to look a little bit too big for him, but it's still his shirt nonetheless. Now, as he grows up, He's going to eventually begin to fill out that shirt. Now, the shirt has been his since, the, since like the age five. It's been his. It's belonged to him. But as he grows up, he's going to begin to grow up into and to fill out what's already been his all along since the time that he was, say, five years old. Now, in our faith, people who are in here with me who have trusted Jesus, when we trust Jesus, he does this miraculous thing of making us his. We are perfected in Christ. We're promised eternity. 
We're promised to live forever in heaven with Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit of God who's been given to us, who's been placed inside of us as a deposit, as a guarantor of our faith, that we are his. And that Holy Spirit that's inside of us helps us to live out the calling of walking as a disciple of Christ. It's, he's in there and he's living there. And so there's this part of us that is totally perfected, right? Totally perfect. But there's also this space that we have to keep growing up in our, in our faith, growing up into what God has already given us. Now, the problem is sometimes we smack straight into um, problems and we think that we've got everything all figured out. When we think that um, we've got uh, a lock on truth or we've got everything figured out and nobody else does, in our minds, what happens is we begin to think, hey, I am varsity while everybody else around me is junior varsity. And they've got some work to do if they're going to be able to sit on the bench with me and be a part of my team. I'm varsity, they're junior varsity. And over time, what happens if we're not careful is that we tend to start isolating ourselves from other people. We start segregating ourselves from other people. And we start putting together these little cliques or these little tribes, these little circles of my people. Not your people, but, but of my people. And these cliques and tribes of people, um, we, we put in there, there are people who are just like me. And these cliques and tribes can become very narrow-sided and very narrow-focused, forgetting that there are other people who are on the team too, that are also in the process of growth along with us. Now, this isn't really anything new under the sun. This has been going on for decades and centuries over time. We read about it in Scripture all over the place. Now, we're in the book of Mark, so obviously that's where we're going for, um, where we're seeing this happen. Um, we're talking along, uh, or walking, we're walking alongside of these disciples who are with Jesus, and we know that as of last week and the week before, he's already reprimanded them about arguing with one another who's going to be the greatest. He just said, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to give my life up. I'm going to give it up as a ransom. I'm going to take my life up three days later. But in the middle of this conversation, they're walking alongside of Jesus, and they don't hear a word he really has to say. They are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And so Jesus is not yet done with this topic. He's going to keep talking about this. And so if you've got your Bible with you, um, we were in Mark 9, verse 38, um, and that's where we're going to be reading from. And so I'm just going to throw the big idea up here. We've already kind of talked about it. The big idea is that we still have room to grow. Every one of us, we all still have room to grow. So let's see how Mark shows it to us in chapter 9, starting in verse 38. <clears throat> Y'all with me? Okay. John said to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anybody who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah or belong to the Christ, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. Okay. So as soon as we start reading in this passage, we bump into a problem, don't we? The, the issue that's lying on the surface here is that the disciples, they've been out and about, and they've been walking around the community, and what they've seen is they've seen that there is somebody else, somebody that they don't recognize, somebody who hasn't been a part of, of the inner circle uh, of 12. And he is out there, outside of their group, and he's casting out demons. Now, this was a job, if you remember back in uh, chapter 6, that Jesus gave the 12 disciples to go out and do. He told them to go out and share the gospel, and he told them to cast out demons. So this was their job. This was their task. But I think it was two weeks ago, they bumped into an issue, right? 
They go to cast out a demon, and what happens? They're not able to do it. And so they go to Jesus, and they say, hey, what happened? Like, we've been able to do this in the past, but something happened with this one. We weren't actually able uh, to do it. And so now they've bumped into this problem. They can't do it, but there's somebody else out there who's still doing it. That's not a part of the 12. Do you guys see the problem that begins to present itself with the disciples here? We were doing it. We can't do it now. Somebody else is doing it. They're not a part of our group. And so how are we supposed to deal with that? Let's take a, um, just a quick second uh, to talk about what it means first to cast out demons here, okay? Because Mark, is, he keeps going back to this. We see all these demon possessions and Jesus going in and casting out demons. But Mark is talking about it's like this is something that occurs to us normally. Now, we're 2,000 years past this or 2,000 plus years. Back then, apparently, this was happening pretty regularly. But unless, unless you were there, this is not part of our normal experience, and it's probably not somewhat normal to you unless you're watching like crazy scary movies. And that's not me because I'm not watching scary movies. I don't like to be scared, okay? Um, so most of us aren't really familiar with what Mark keeps going back to and saying this is pretty common in our, in our area. So in the basic sense, casting out a demon means to go into a situation where Satan has had spiritual territory. He's had freedom to roam, completely unchecked. And this could be in a person. This could be maybe even on a larger scale. It could be um, in a geographically focused area, a place where Satan has been free to roam and where people have given zero attention to Jesus or zero attention to the spirit that's at move. Or they have actively said, you know what? We don't want you here. We don't want Jesus in our place. We're happy with the way other things, these other gods are working in our community. And so Satan has had freedom to roam in those spaces. And his ability to camp out there has been remarkable because nobody is checking him and calling him out of that space. And where Satan has spiritual territory and where he's going in and he's taking ground, there is always going to be destruction. There's always going to be damage where he ends up taking up space. Now, we can say that culturally. We can say that as a society. You can see where, where Satan gets in and just makes a wreck of, of marriages. And right now with gender and everything else that's going on, Satan just loves to get in and start picking up places where there's soft spots, where nobody's keeping guard, and starts to pull these things out and brings it out into the open. And he owns that space. Or we can say it even in, in, an, in an individual stance. That as a person where we give no credence and no space for Jesus, where we push him off and we shun the things of God, there is openness to Satan to come in and do work and to bring destruction and damage in those places. So where Satan is at work and has a spiritual foothold, this is where casting out demons comes into play. This is where Jesus kept sending the disciples into and his followers into. So you go in with the power and the authority given to you in Christ. By his authority and by that authority, you take back ground that Satan had stolen away. You begin to restore the ability for that person or for that region to see and experience the wonderful, beautiful grace of God because now Satan is no longer in that space. You've removed the darkness by exposing it to the light. Does that make sense a little bit? It can be intimidating. You guys are kind of like, why are we talking about demon possession here? This is what the passage lends us to, okay? <clears throat> and so on, <clears throat> excuse me. It's like, so on Thursday, um, I'm going to be heading out of here. I'm going to be flying in uh, to India. And I just saw 
um, my brothers and sisters back there in the back who just got back from India as well, and I can't wait to sit down and talk with you guys and hear how that was. Um, and they've got plans, I think, to, to be moving back uh, at some point soon. But I, on Thursday, I'm going to be heading into India. And we are going to be um, working alongside of uh, some of our mission partners and uh, friends that we have over there. And we're going to be doing a pastor's conference, and we're going to go, and we're going to uh, teach the gospel in places where uh, the gospel hasn't been taught. And what's happened there is we're going to be going into areas and, and regions um, where Satan has had a field day um, in the geographical area, but also in the lives of the people because they have shunned um, Jesus and they have shunned Christianity. But also, in about two weeks, we're going to be sending our first team um, of, of missionaries from, the, from RCC to the Dominican Republic in the Rio Arriba area who are going to be doing the same thing. Um, they're going to, be going to be going to areas where Satan has been free to roam for centuries. And so we need you to start praying for them because they're going to be walking into the darkness and flicking on the light of the gospel into these places and telling them about Jesus and saying, there is no place for you to camp out in this area. And so you need to start praying for the folks that are going to the DR. And I would love if you'd be praying for me over the next uh, uh, week and a half uh, or so. Um, we, the idea is that when you're casting um, out darkness, you are walking into darkness and you are shining the light of the gospel in there and exposing that place. Now, it's a bit frightening at times. It can be intimidating, but the power of God is able to overwhelm the darkness. And so that's um, when Mark is talking about casting out demons. That's when we're going into ground that has been owned by Satan, and we are calling in the authority of God to take back that ground. So back into Mark here, apparently there were people who had heard about Jesus. Jesus has been going, he's been teaching, he's been healing, he's been doing all these miraculous things. And there are people who have heard about him who have become followers in the background of the 12. They are not a part of the 12, but they are following Jesus, okay? And that shouldn't shock us because so far in Mark, we just keep seeing all kinds of people showing up wherever, wherever Jesus shows up. Wherever he is healing, people are showing up. Wherever he is doing miraculous things, people just keep showing up. And in those healings, people are showing different various types and levels of faith in him. Now, about this time that, that Mark is writing this section, Luke tells us that there's something else going on as well in Luke chapter 10. He says that Jesus, during this time, is sending out 72 disciples to go out and to share the gospel and to do the exact same thing that the 12 were sent out to do as well, to cast out demons. And so there are at least 72 others who have trusted Jesus who are a part of his outer circle, not just a part of, of this 12. They have trusted him. They have faith in him. And here's what um, Mark tells us about these 72. They've gone out and they have taught the gospel. They have been in people's homes. They have been accepted in some. They've been rejected in others. They've cast out demons. And here's what happens in verse 17 when they come back. When the 72 disciples turn, returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Whose name did they say there? When, yeah, when we use your name, not our name, it's the, it's the power and the authority of Jesus here. The demons obey us at the power of your name. <laughs> and then like a proud papa, he says in verse 18, yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And this next verse is just really strange. We're not going to dig into this one right now. It's a sermon for another day, um, but I'm going to read it anyway. You can walk and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. It's a little weird. Nothing will injure you. That's 
wild, um, but we'll touch on that on, on another day. And then verse 20, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Pay attention to those last verses there. Don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. They're in the Lamb's book of life. That's what you should be rejoicing about. In other words, he's saying, don't focus on the exorcisms that you've been a part of. Don't focus on your authority. Focus on the fact that your names are written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. You've received a wonderful gift of God's grace. He has handpicked you with all of your warts and all of your scars and all the ups and downs and all the things that you've been through and the background that you have. He has, except he has chosen you to sit right beside him in heaven, alongside of him, judging the angels and uh, ruling alongside of him. He has chosen you regardless and in spite of what we've gone through. I, I want to pause right there and, and take a minute to say, this is amazing. Would you, would you agree with me? Like, that's an amazing feat that Jesus has done, right? It's an amazing thing. Some of us in our lives, like, we've cleaned up really well over the years. And a lot of us have just had amazing changes in our lives. By the grace of God, we're not the same person that we used to be when we first came to Christ. He's totally come in and cleaned up shot. He has given us salvation. And in, in terms, he's given us the shirt off of his back, like the illustration that we talked about. He has given us his life so that we can grow up into the life that he's given us. But sometimes what happens is we forget about what Jesus has actually done for us. We forget about what he's pulled us out of. We forget about what he's saved us out of or what he's saved us from, the roads he's kept us from actually going, going down. Because before Jesus came into my life, I had zero self-control in anything in my life. You name it, I had no self-control in it. I gave into full indulgence into every aspect. Um, every step of my life, was moving towards destruction. And in that, the way that scripture defines that is I was destined for hell. Like, like every, ever, every single person in here who doesn't know Jesus, I was destined for hell. Those were the steps that I was walking in. But Jesus, he reached in, he pulled me out, he changed the trajectory of my life. I didn't know everything about Jesus at the time. I didn't know everything about how the faith worked at the time. But what I did know is that he reached in and he saved me. And I, what happens is I rejoiced that my name was written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. And if you've trusted Christ, that's where we rejoice. We rejoice that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life and in heaven. Now, I sure had a lot of growth still yet to do. I still have a lot of growth yet to do. You still have a lot of growth yet to do as well. But the reality was that when I accepted Christ and when you accepted Christ, he welcomed you to his table. He gave you a seat next to him. And he still does. There's nothing that we need to do to keep that seat. And there's nothing that we can do to lose that seat. It's by his grace and by his grace alone. Okay? So take a moment, just really quickly, and praise God for the thing that he pulled you out of, or the thing that he kept you from going towards. Now, I often, Ashley and I will have a conversation, and I, you know, we'll be reminiscing about God's grace in our life and just sharing about his goodness, and, um, and, and, I'll, and I'll just be thankful for what he pulled me out of, and Ashley be like, man, I was like four years old. I was five years old when I trusted Christ. I, I, was, like, I was a good kid. I didn't really mess up. And, and, with, and so there's almost a point where you kind of get sad that you don't have this wild testimony where like, I wasn't a heathen. I wasn't running down. But yet 
We were still walking in darkness. And so the Lord kept us from going down a path that would ultimately reject him and move us away from him. You with me? So just because you don't have this wild, crazy story like your husband or your wild, crazy story like your wife or, or your roommate, God's grace was sufficient for you to keep you from going down those crazy roads. Okay? So we'll, we'll have those conversations, but I, I, I know that he has come in and he uh, has welcomed us to the table of, of grace. So um, I don't know what he saved you from. I don't know what he kept you away from, but it is by God's grace that he did that, and that's what we rejoice in. What I'm trying to say is this. How often... Do we remember the grace of God in our lives? Do you recall it? Do you think about it? Because when we remember his grace for us, we're often much more willing to give his grace to other people. Would you agree with me? When we recall his grace, we're often willing to give his grace more readily to other people around us. When we remember his grace we're often able to be real with ourselves, too, and say, you know what? Yeah, I've come a long way, but I've still got a long way to go. I haven't yet arrived. Even though I may feel like I'm on the varsity team, I've still got a long way to go, and I want to bring along others with me. And because I know that I need his grace to do anything in my life, I needed his grace to start my journey of faith. I need his grace to keep me in uh, walking alongside of him by his spirit. I don't have to be afraid to say that I still need his grace today because it started with his grace. He keeps me with his grace and I'm free to say, you know what? I still don't have it all figured out and I don't have to worry about somebody judging me for that, that I get to walk and have freedom to grow up into the shirt that he's given me. I get to grow up into the faith that he's given me. And here's why we're talking about this. And here's why this matters. What can happen is that as we spend time with Jesus, over the years or over the decades, we can start to feel like we're in a privileged position, or that, again, we're on that varsity team because we've been closer to God than anybody else in our lives, or because we've been close to Jesus for a while, or we've been around the church for a little bit longer than somebody else might have been, and there's a spiritual pride that can begin to percolate up inside of us. And it pops up, and we don't want it to be there. It just happens. It shows up. And the assumption can be, if God is going to do anything good in this world, if God is going to do anything good in this community, if God is going to do anything good in this church, then it's going to definitely be going through me. It's going to be because I'm a part of that, or it's going to be because it's because of somebody inside of my circle. Usually, we don't mean for it to be like that, it can just happen over time. And so we start to surround ourselves with people that are just like us, people that look like us, people that talk like us, people who believe like us, people who act like us, people been in the faith as long as us, other varsity players to be on the bench with us. And before you know it, what happens is you've got a tribe or you've got a clique alongside of you. That's what's happening here in verse 38. So look at it again with that context. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw somebody using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Now, again, remember, Jesus, he just reprimanded these guys because they were so prideful, thinking about, like, who's going to be the greatest? Jesus said, I'm going to die, but they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And he calls them out on that spiritual pride. And the problem here on the surface is that the disciples are telling Jesus, hey, somebody's out here casting out demons but it's not in, they're doing it in your name, but they are not a part of our group. They are not with us. And, and I like to try to make, like, 
Imagine the disciples are real, right? Because they are. I like to put flesh and bones on, on these guys. But in my mind, the, the attitude of the moment is like this. Hey, we saw somebody casting out demons. They were doing it in your name, but they weren't a part of our group. But don't worry about it, Jesus. Okay, you know, kind of like with their, with their chest out. Like, don't worry about it, Jesus. We've got it covered. We, we, we've got you covered. Um, we told him to knock it off. We've got your, your back. And so if you need us to go knock some heads and get things in order, let us know. Because we'll be the first ones to go out there and do it. Like these guys, if we want to give them all the credit in the world, I think they're trying to defend the name of Jesus in this moment. But what they're doing is their spiritual pride is beginning to percolate. It seems pretty innocent on the surface. But they're saying, hey, we want to protect your name, Jesus. And then they're standing there. And they're expecting that Jesus is going to kind of give them a pat on the back and a little bit of a nod and say, hey, good job, guys. You know, you, 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 you did well. Uh, I knew that I could count on you to keep my name straight. I knew that I could count on you to keep everything together. Way to go. But that's not what he says, is it? What's he say? Instead of saying great job to these guys who have gone to this man who's casting out demons and, saying, and, say, and, and, and ridding this man of a demon who's been possessing his, possessing his life and bringing destruction and damage, here's what they go. They go to him and say, knock it off. Instead of Jesus saying great job to these guys, here's what he says. He tells them to knock it off. He says, stop. Don't do that. And there's an emphatic nature of this. He's like, stop doing that. Don't do it again. And so you can almost see these guys standing in front of Jesus and just the air being deflated from their chest. Like, why? why? Why don't you want me to say anything to them? Why don't you want me to defend your name? Like, we were doing this for you. Verse 39, don't stop them, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. If by some chance he's doing this with poor motive, it can't stay like that for long. Why? Because he's going to grow up too. Just as you are growing up, he's going to grow up also. Verse 40, anybody who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. Here's what I think is happening. And I could be wrong, but this is what I think is happening here. The disciples, they locked their mind on the fact that if Jesus was going to do something, it had to come through them. It had to be through their circle. It couldn't be anywhere else. It was going to come through them. He eats with us. He teaches us. Like we have this private interaction together. We're his boys. Like we're close. We're knit. And they were. They were close to Jesus. He did choose these 12. They did walk with him. It was fantastic. But Jesus can do work through other people than just those 12. That's what he's pointing out here. He can do work with other people than just these 12. I wonder if that bothered these guys. I wonder for these disciples if by, by letting um, somebody else do a little bit of the work that they had been accustomed to doing, I wonder if these fellows got a little bit jealous, if there was some of that green envy that began to percolate up inside of them. I wonder if they, if they just had a hard time because they didn't recognize this guy. They didn't know him. They didn't know his motives. They didn't know his hearts. They hadn't spent time with him. I, I wonder if that was troublesome for, for these guys, that they, they just clearly didn't know anything about the guy. And, because clearly they don't know him, right? Because had they known him, they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have talked to Jesus and said, hey, this some guy is over here doing this. They'd have been like, hey, it's Joe down the street. He's been doing this for years. Like, we've been talking with him about this, but he won't knock it off. They would have had that kind of conversation with Jesus. But this is some guy, some random guy that they don't know. 
And this can happen so easily when we forget the grace that we've received. Instead of rejoicing with others, we look for ways to criticize or to invalidate the work that somebody else has done. If they don't do it, then it can't get done. If they don't do it the way that we do it, then it can't be done. Maybe it's not right. If I don't personally know the person, then, then it can't happen that way. If they don't look like us, if they don't talk like us, if they didn't start in the same place that we're from, if they don't, if they don't speak the same language as us, if they didn't come from the same geographical location as us, if their growth track record isn't the same as mine, if it's not from the ground up, if it's got some bumps and bruises, if it's got some circles going on in that, then they can't possibly have anything good to say. If their growth track record doesn't look like mine, if it's not the same trajectory as mine, if they're not in my circle then maybe I have a hard time with that. I wonder if the disciples had an issue with this because it seems like they did. And this isn't a doctrinal issue that's going on here. Our doctrine and our theology, it's incredibly important to us. This is the the pillars and and the anchors of of our faith as our guideposts for our faith. But the issue that they're dealing with here, it's not an issue of doctrine and theology issue that they're dealing with is the pride of heart that Jesus is calling out in these guys. The issue was spiritual pride that's going on with the disciples. They still had room to grow. One of the things that kept coming to my mind when I was reading this week, and it was a personal encouragement and a challenge to me, is that there's no room for spiritual pride. There's just no room for spiritual pride and arrogance in the family of God. The same grace that we need at the beginning of salvation is the same grace that we need throughout our sanctification and throughout the process of coming to know who he is and, and, and uh, walking alongside of him and being disciples of his. But I want to be really clear because Jesus sums up some of this in, in these last couple of verses that we've talked about, that um, he's not saying be indifferent. He's not saying don't care about anything. He's not saying don't protect my name. He's not saying don't speak in my name. He's not saying be a gatekeeper of the truth. He's not, he's not saying that at all. He's not saying be spiritually neutral and be indifferent to the things that are going on around. Actually, in Matthew 12, verse 30, he says the exact opposite. He says, anybody who isn't with me is against me. And anybody who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So be passionate. Care about the gospel. Don't be neutral on the gospel. But what I think Jesus is saying here is that neutrality in the gospel is impossible. The man that they're talking about here, he can't possibly be um, casting out a demon in the name of Jesus and be neutral at the same time. His heart and his life is set already towards Jesus. That's why he's casting out. He's pointing out that not everybody who raises their hand to follow Jesus is going to look the same as these 12 men. There are going to be people that are coming from different backgrounds. There are going to be people who weren't in that same group of 12. There were 72 others, at least, who were out walking around, sharing the good news of the gospel and casting out demons. There are people sitting at the table of Jesus and who are going to keep sitting at the table of Jesus who weren't in that group of 12. Um, People who have the same goal in mind. They want to build the kingdom of God. They want to see people come to know and experience the grace and the love of Jesus. They want to go into dark areas, and they want to take back spiritual ground for the Lord. They want to go in and flick on the light where it's dark. They want to build the kingdom of God, but they may not be in our circle. They may not be in our group. They may vote different from us. They may come from different backgrounds from us. And again, they may speak a different language than us. 
but their heart is sold out for the gospel and for people knowing who Jesus is. Let's not give back spiritual territory to the enemy because, we, we, because uh, somebody may not be in our circle. Let's not give back ground by fighting with other believers in our circles who are sold out for people knowing who Jesus is. I've got room to grow. You've got room to grow. I'm going to throw out a couple questions for you to consider um, that I think might come out of this passage. When you think about the history of you coming to Christ and where you are now, what's the click life look like for you? Are there clicks that you walk in? Are there any evidences of spiritual pride that keeps you away from other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ? Are there people in your life that don't look like you? Are there people in your life that didn't grow up in the same place as you? Are there people in your life who are allowed to challenge you, who are allowed to call you out? Are there people in your life who bring um, glory to the Lord in a different way than you do? Are, are, are there people who express their faith in a different way? It's the same faith, but express it differently than do you. what I'm saying is we have room to grow. Every single one of us, we have room to grow. So where are you going to look to grow this week? I'm going to just encourage you. This is a challenge. Like when I got into this passage this week, I was like, this is challenging to my heart. This is challenging to my spirit. This is challenging to everything in my world. Um, and it's difficult. And, and so I, I've got to spend some time with the Lord this week and say, where do you want me to grow? Where are areas that I need um, propped up? Where do I need people in my life to encourage me in these areas, to bring people into those spaces? And so uh, my encouragement is to find some time this week to get alone with the Lord and say, where do I need to grow? Because I know I need it. Where is it that you want to grow me up? So would you pray with me? <clears throat> Whew, Father, demons and cliques and circles, it's not easy stuff, it's challenging to us, challenging to me, um, but would you give us the audacity to walk in truth and boldness and uh, security in who you've made us to be, our identity is in you, we don't find it in anything else, would you give us the audacity um, to stand boldly for you, to walk into the places that are dark? and to flick the light on for the gospel and then to encourage those who are doing that also to realize that it doesn't have to come through me that I don't have to be the one who's doing it I can support somebody who's doing that I can walk alongside and I can champion that person Father we want to love you well and we want to love our brothers and sisters well and we want to read your word and allow you to challenge us with it so just keep doing that throughout this week I pray Give us space to grow and the courage to grow, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.